This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Yes, it is. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition or Weekends with Walshy. My name is Peter Gowers. Thank you for joining us wherever you may be listening. I'd like to introduce my special guest for this episode. All the way from the NT Independent Online newspaper, it's the editor, Mr. Chris Walsh. Walshy, how are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. And um, it's uh, nice to know that Clown Town is alive and well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, it never goes away. It's never too far from the surface, the clownery and buffoonery. <laughs> It isn't. I'll tell you what's also interesting um, from a territory story perspective. The Clown Town episode is the most ever listened to episode of Weekends with Walshy. So if you don't think that headlines don't get people's attention, <laughs> then you're mad because I'm sure that's part of the reason why they listen. And uh, it's yeah. it's just great how Clown Town's really taken off and everybody refers to it and... and uh, makes reference to it on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't even think we can take credit for coming up with it. It was somebody else, wasn't it? Like a reader, listener or something? Yeah, I think it was a just a, just a random uh, as you say, I think it might have been one of your readers yeah. who comment on commented on a story and just basically said, Oh, what's this place turning into clown town now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Summed it up perfectly, and we've been running with it ever since. And the clowns have been running with it too. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to let the audience down, do they? <laughs> no, no, no. So, Chris, as we say every week at about this time, another big week in news, and uh, well, lots of stories coming up. So we should probably get straight into it. And the first one uh, just met raised eyebrows from me and I'm sure many others, and that is that uh, the police media director's role, which we've been talking about quite a bit recently, has been listed as a three-month contract amid political interference allegations. Chris, tell me more. Yeah, Pete, yeah, it's a very unusual, um, people are telling us here, and these are people who know, um, and of course, but it does sound strange too, right? I mean, why would yeah. they? Yeah, just put this over three months now. Just a short term role, just to stop gap, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now it follows, you know, the the, the unceremonious sacking of um, Margaret McKeon, who was the comms director, who took the job over in January, I believe it was, and sometime in February or March started responding to the NT Independent to our questions, and so. Um, I guess she she angered some people then. Anyway, she gets uh, fired, you know, like all of this. And we say, you know, come this kind of three-month term for this new comms director comes amid all of this unresolved uh, political interference allegations that have been going on here. And this is when the government brought in this woman, Sita Basher, to, uh, to oversee comms, police press releases, what, what information is getting out to the public of crimes that are going on. And uh, it was around that point, shortly after that, that uh, Margaret McKeon was sacked. And, um, you know, it's still just unresolved. I mean, nobody to anybody's satisfaction has come out to say, you know, this is what's going on. This is what her particular role is. Like, it's almost like, you know, being her understudy or something. If you're doing it for three months, 
I mean, like, are you who are you answering to? Are you answering to the commissioner of yeah. police here? Are you answering to the government? Are you a- answering to some department of chief minister marketing manager who's now the crime manager, crime marketing manager? Mm-hmm. Like, it just the, the, the police, anti police is just such a mess right now. Like, they need a new commissioner and they need that person to come in very quickly and clean this place up because it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. So, look, we we went around, we asked some people, of course, David Wood had the story here this morning. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's essentially applications for the role um, have been dis- diminished from a higher level position, too. So that's another thing. It comes with a $180,000 salary package, closed on Wednesday. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was weird that, um, that that it's been diminished from what it was before. It was at a different level. Yeah. Um, and now we know from sources that the police commissioner's chief of staff, this is a woman named Lisa Wilson, has been acting in the police comms director role for a bit over a month, um, despite having limited media experience while doing her normal job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, being the chief of staff. Multitasking, Chris. Yeah, and then, yeah, this is, well, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they usually have like so many more uh, advisors there, and they don't. They have her and like two others. Um, which, you know, usually you've got five or more um, people yeah. going comms and police. So something's gone on there. Uh, we know that they had interrogated. Remember, they took detectives off of real crimes to go <laughs> and interrogate the media unit yeah. for leaking information, allegedly. Yes, that uh, allegations. band of criminals that they are. <laughs> allegations that they, they had been recorded, that they were recorded in the office in the workplace, mm. too. And I think there'll be more on that. They were being investigated, point. I believe, for crimes against punctuation, weren't they, Chris? <laughs> well, we've noticed some errors, a lot more errors than usual. Um, and just, yeah, key facts being left out. But again, who, who's making that call? Is that the police communications role or is that the government saying, well, we don't want that information getting out? Mm-hmm. You know, we just had a story uh, so bizarre about that, that um, on uh, Tennant Creek, Saturday afternoon, but Monday, they still weren't reporting that. Um, and we had a story up on a Monday morning about a, a, a woman uh, being attacked when she drove home from the shops and her car being stolen. Yeah. And, um, you know, somebody was still on the run for that. Um, and it, you just got to ask yourself, and then they put it out, I think, Monday afternoon. And you're like, well, would they have even done that if we hadn't recorded that? Because this is exactly the kind of stuff that the public's concerned about is being kept from them. And yeah. so, you know, people in, in, in Tennant Creek wouldn't know that this woman's car, you know, she was uh, assaulted and her car stolen. And they could be out doing joyrides and whatnot. And the police just haven't told anybody. So that that's really troublesome. Um, yeah, so so they're saying now that they want their, this job is out there for somebody. I don't know who the hell would want this job. But look, we talk to people now. One of the, the, the most unusual things about this, Pete, and this is, you got to keep this in mind with this, is that they had uh, cited a reference to a responsibility in this job ad that was not previously known to have been part of the role. Now, this is, and it says the director, communications director, is the key point of contact between the agency, meaning the police, and the government, and maintains a positive and collaborative relationship with political stakeholders. Right. Well, from what we understand, that was never in there before. And in fact, the key point of contact between the agency and the government is the commissioner of police. Right. It's not a media director. Yeah. 
Um, so th- there's something like they've altered this here to make it look like, oh, yeah, well, this is just normal. You know, the politicians will be in there telling you what to do and you're to do it yeah. and not ask any questions. And you must be positive about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maintain a positive and collaborative relationship. Um, now, the other thing, well, yeah, there, there was another one here. Reference to the director developing strategic relationships with, quote, other opinion formers outside of the government and the media. That was also flagged as unusual by people who know this. What, what the hell did that mean? Yeah. <laughs> other opinion formers. Does that mean they're going to probably start dealing with us now, Chris, as well. You and I might get a conversation <laughs> with them once a week as opinion formers. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know what that means because this would be media, uh, the general, you know, <laughs> yeah, definition of media. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Like The chief minister wants to say certain things aren't media that clearly are. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. But here's what, here's what one... Very high-level source that who knows about this stuff. Uh, it appears to be a badly written job description by someone who doesn't really understand the role or government or police. So that's uh, you know that's about that's, says it all. That's all of the categories that need to be known about. <laughs> yeah. So this is just stupidity. Now, one of the weird things was it was dated November of last year as well, which was very strange. It looks like maybe this has been in the works for some time. And, you know, suggestion being made to Rob Cross, the former guy who would come from Natasha Files' office uh, to to run comms for police under chalk or that he may have written this because he wouldn't know that what the role really was and how or how government operated or how police operated. How weird Um, that they did this prior to the next person being appointed, though, and then appointed that person under a different guard. Yeah, 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 unless that was it. Yeah, and in January they hired... Yeah, um, Margaret McKeon, but it doesn't appear that these things were in that ad. Yeah, I, I don't know for that. So, yeah, of course, they did not respond to questions over it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, just on the, on the distance of that, the three month or the, yeah, the three month kind of period of this contract, uh, what do you talk to a source familiar with public service hiring practices who said that creating short term contracts has traditionally allowed departments to circumvent regular recruiting requirements? And remember, this has happened a lot, and this is where they get their friends in the job, followed by repeatedly extending the contracts by the same term. You so you do like three months, and then after that, you do another three months and allowing the person temporarily in the role to gain experience and then becomes the front runner by the job time the job is advertised permanently. Uh, it's an old uh, scam, and I've seen it and I've written about it before. And it's traditionally used if you have a friend, you have somebody you want to get in there because um, yeah. you can just appoint them for three months and continue to extend it. Right. And then they get all this experience, and then when they finally goes out, um, and then, yeah, some of the people involved here have been involved with that before. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, once they've had enough experience racked up, then they can get a commissioner's role somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really that is just troubling. On you've got to think like, okay, so who are, do they have somebody in mind already for this? Yeah, is already, yeah. you know, in on the game? Is it going to be Cedabash or is it going to be another person from the government? And then. And that's what I'd probably be looking for whenever they fill this role. Now, yeah. the other part of this is that, you know, that you've still got Murphy auditioning for the role of commissioner, yeah. which is troubling. Uh, now, is that something, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, why do this now? They should have really got a police commissioner by now, a permanent one. 
who could have then decided who they wanted as their media director. Um, but it appears that that's not happening. So that's another theory that's being posited here that maybe um, they're setting up like this and whoever comes in and finally takes over will then be able to get whoever they want. But in the meantime, the government will have somebody in there. I don't know. Look, what we're hearing about that is that it could be done as early as September, a new commissioner appointed. And what we're yep. hearing now is that the front runner isn't from here. There was talk about AFP people. There's been talk about uh, South Australia um, assistant commissioners there. Surprise, surprise. Uh, yeah, so um, we're not sure uh, exactly what's going to happen, but we're hearing, you know, we're hearing a lot of things. We're hearing it could be done within the next month here, which would be good. Yeah. But in the meantime, yeah, do you have something like the government interfering again until this new commissioner comes in and hopefully has the strength to stand up to the government? Because this all has to come to a head of it. I mean, it can't go on like this where the government for, for its own selfish political reasons is suppressing the public's right to know information about their own safety. And this, this yeah. needs to end. And the yeah. only way that ends is with a strong commissioner coming in and putting an end to it and saying this is outright interference and if you continue it you know we're going to take steps and measures and we're going to deal with you it's just crazy it's just crazy that this is allowed to happen here in this place the other way they could deal with it chris is by actually getting their act together and getting the law and order in check so they don't have to um not put out press releases about things that actually happen because they've stopped them happening yeah look that's that's ultimately it and yeah, and then look, that's part of the challenge that I guess this new commissioner is going to face. But it, it makes it all the more difficult. You're coming into a place where where crime is so bad, it seems. Um, but then you've got the challenge of the government interfering in things, and and then you've got the morale being as low as it is, and people mm. leaving. And uh, we just talked about that latest People Matter survey with police and how um, yep. spirited they all are. Um, so there's a lot of issues here. I don't know who wants that job as commissioner, but it, you know, they, hopefully they hire somebody good and someone who's going to fix this place because yeah. well, police really needs to be fixed. Yeah, true. In the meantime, though, we've got Murphy in place. And yeah, uh, as a true Seinfeld fan, Chris, as I'm sure you are, you'd remember the Murphy episode where George and Jerry jump into the, uh, <laughs> the car. I think that was on the other night here. The, <laughs> the limo that I meant to take. And Murphy's <laughs> a white supremacist, I believe. In the show, let's just be clear. In the totally. show, the man named Murphy. We're not saying that Michael Murphy is. No, no, not. not but I've actually heard you know people say worse things about Michael Murphy, and I'm not saying they're true, but I've, no, you no. know, a lot of people not happy with his tenure and there as acting. And, um, you know, that, and that'll be a thing too, is that, you know, a lot of what we hear is that Murphy hasn't been taking this as a caretaker position. He's been actively executing a strategy that he has. Right. And, you know, I think what, what he keeps saying, always the bridesmaid, never the bride for him. Um, right. This will be another one. And so expect him if he doesn't get it. And he's looking less and less likely at this point to get it, that he'll uh, ride off into the sunset somewhere. Um, and you know what? Yeah. That's probably for the better. I, I really think we need somebody to um, come in from the outside <laughs> and clean it up. Because, like, look, I mean, we still have this, and we're going to get into this later. I mean, we still have serious corruption allegations against a senior detective that could possibly go all the way up to the executive, to the highest mm-hmm. levels of the police. And, um, the, you know, the more that you're going to keep people who know about that stuff inside, um, 
you know, it's just not going to get cleaned up and it's just not going to yeah. be addressed and it's going to get worse and worse. So we do need someone from outside. Yeah. But if there are any disgruntled uh, employees who are going to be leaving, whether it's from the police or whoever it is, uh, don't forget, keep listening because the job of the week's coming up at the end of this episode and uh, you never know, there might be a plush job coming up for someone that you didn't know about unless you listen to the job of the week. Wow. Which is, uh, yeah, which is sponsored by nobody. Now, um, Chris, let's move on to the second story now. And um, look, I keep saying it, but, you know, this was a real surprise for many reasons. But uh, the chief ministers hired the former chief minister's advisor uh, <laughs> under a mysterious contract a year out from the upcoming election, Chris. And then and this is true, Pete. It's another interesting job here in the territory. And let's make it clear: it isn't the convicted sex offender, right? That she's hired, and that's you know, like that's not even a joke because yeah. people could be listening to this and thinking, "Oh, Who is oh it? my, yeah. is Kent Rowe going to do this for jail?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, or maybe maybe his mate Jamie Gallagher, the guy who's run campaigns for the party for many years. Maybe she's hired him, the guy who wrote a reference letter back in Kent Rowe, saying what a great guy he was and trying to get him a reduced sentence for raping a child. Mm. And this is like all true, you know, and the more we get into this, the more I just shake my head in it. And I think like, what kind of lies? We know the files has told lies about the NT independence and that like we're reporting misinformation. But I get back to that issue with Greg's team who came like a week ago, yes. whatever that was, two weeks ago, about this new sex offense legislation. Uh, like, surely she would have raised, like, we got in touch with her people. We haven't heard back. Like, surely it was raised. Like, what the hell is going on? Why would you guys take so long? And you have this pedophile in your ranks here, and you didn't do anything. Yeah. And I'm sure that the easy way out for files was to say, oh, well, that's not true. The NT independent, they're not trusty, trustworthy. They're not, they're yeah. reporting misinformation. Well, this is all fact, although the other media dropped the ball. I mean, the other media did report on the fact that he was convicted. Nobody asked any questions of labor, but what they knew when they knew it. Mm. But, um, you know, the, all of that is just really troubling. And this is, um, yeah, and, and look, we'll, we'll kind of leave that to the side for now and get into this because Rosanne Richardson, Scott Gerard Richardson, who was, well, look, man, the other issue here, uh, talking about advisors of Gunner, is that, and we forget this, but this government is currently under investigation for corruption by the ICAC in relation to, you know, so-called travel rewards that they pulled off during the last election. And that is when they spent, you know, over $40,000 that we know of, told there's more. $40,000 on flights to remote communities on the same day polling was happening um, in an effort to clearly politically campaign, which is forbidden from caretaker rules that are only in place to protect the misappropriation of public funds being used on party political purposes during caretaker. Now, uh, these people were all in it, and I'm not saying that Richardson, this guy Gerard Richardson, in any way was involved in any wrongdoing. We don't know that. We'll let the... Um, we're not suggesting that. We'll let everything play out, the investigation. But here's the problem with this, Pete, is that she's basically filed by hiring him, saying that she totally agrees with the way that Michael Gunner ran that last election. Now, we know for a fact that it's under investigation by the ICAC, that allegations of corruption, of misconduct, of misappropriation of funds happened. And at no time has anyone in labor 
uh, come out to say, yeah, we knew about it and that was wrong and it's not right and we're just going to say that now because we want to hold on to our job. You know, and I've talked about this before, we've got to paint them all with the same brush here. If none of them are willing to come out and stand up for what's right, well, then they're all part of an organized crime syndicate. And, you know, it's just, man, and this is just where we're at now. Like, like, how does anyone on the backbench who's not even in cabinet, like, not think, like, you know, I better go out and just say something before, ooh, that yeah. ICAC report comes out in January or whenever and says that, you know, the corruption occurred. If it says that, like, you want to politically protect yourself, but they're not doing that. They're just going down with the ship here. Hmm. And that's, you know, and that's fine. Like, that's how they want to be. That's how the labor tribe operates, right? They, they deny facts. They lie. They cheat. They cover up. Um, and what was the other one? Except no responsibility. Uh, they're great at doing those things. So I guess they'll do that in this. So this is, makes it all the more strange that Files has brought back this guy, Gerard Richardson. Now, yeah. You know, you talk to people out there and say that there's no love lost between them, that um, Richardson was definitely a gunner guy, um, worked for Gunner. Um, and, and maybe, you know, in some sort of saying, oh, they, they didn't really, he didn't really get along with files. But now all of a sudden he's back in and he's her advisor, getting ready 12 months out from the election. She hires him with taxpayer money. Um, but I guess, look, the price is everything, right? Like you give enough money to some of these people and they'll represent whoever. Um so how this is done, though, how this was set up, too, was unusual. So it's done through this secret contract with a newly created Victoria-based consultancy company with links to federal labor. So this guy, Gerard Richardson, and his mate, uh, a woman by the name of Lydia Ivanowski. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, come on. How's that? How you like that name? I'd never heard of her in my 10 years in the Northern Territory. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of labor people a lot of times for many hours and um not once has her name ever been raised so she was the uh former uh comms director media advisor for, i think she was just media advisor for uh the Putin? <laughs> for uh yeah for um uh, paul anderson and uh you know a lot of stories about that that i've just heard now like the day that i wrote this story was the first day that i've heard of this woman and i'm writing the story and then i'm hearing all these other stories but anyway um so these two, so her and Gerard Richardson, they get together and they had showed a plan last month, we see Jurassic Records, to, that they're going to form this company called Brookline Advisory. And uh, just last month, they set it up. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, it comes out that, that, that Richardson's hired. We assume then that, um, that, that Lydia Ivanovsky's been hired as well because why would these two people put this company consultancy company together last month yeah and only one of them be hired um so that's all unusual now the other thing about lydia is that she was uh, until the last federal election so while marles was in opposition she was chief of staff to richard marles the current deputy prime minister and defense minister as you know, um, for some reason, she resigned after that. There was a whole big feature a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, in the Sydney Morning Herald about chiefs of staff and how important they are and how they like to, to work in complete anonymity to be the most powerful political players. Um, but nobody knows who they are. You don't see them down the street. You don't vote for them, but they're the ones telling the politicians what to do and the amount of power they wield. And the best way to do that is when nobody knows who you are. It also is the reason that the political advisors aren't held accountable by ICACs either. 
because uh, they operate in this gray area, right? Or they operate in the shadows. Yeah, are they public servants or are they political operatives? Well, they're paid with public money. Um, but I read a report on that, a paper on that from might have been New South Wales about how difficult that is, this gray area that these operatives, these advisors work in. So anyway, these two get together, strike the company. Now we know Files was asked about uh, her, her recent uh, leadership rebranding. And this was by Joe Laverty on ABC. And Joe did a good thing here. And uh, I don't know who Joe tipped, who tipped Joe off about it, but it was great. She clearly got it from somebody political. And I would suspect somebody wanted to cause files to be a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. because you don't normally get asked about this when you're a politician and you don't normally respond the way files did. And it was pretty <laughs> interesting. And then we, we knew everything then. But what had happened was, um, uh, you know, following that fiery speech at the National Press Club last week when she branded herself the Iron Lady of the Northern Territory, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher of the North, this territory's not for turning, she said. And we said, well, hold on there, Tash. Let's think about this. Maybe we do got to turn a little bit here. No, we're going straight off that cliff over there. We're not turning around. Um yeah, which was interesting, and a lot of has been written and discussed about what that speech actually meant, and you know how it kind of put a new face on on the on the on her leadership, and really kind of geared them up for the next twelve months, clearing the decks, as they like to say mm-hmm. in political circles. So you expect that cabinet reshuffle as well. Files also hinting that she'd been health minister for seven years. That's a pretty good tip off that uh, someone uh, else is going to be taking that uh, over and um, yeah, clearing things out here for the next 12 months and they've already hired their, their guy. Anyway, Faust was asked um, about the rebranding and she said uh, and whether or not Gerard Richardson why she had hired him. Uh, she said, Mr. Richardson works with me just as a number of people do, just as he did for Michael, she said. Mm. Uh, well, not really. He wasn't on this consultancy contract, so she's lying again there. Um, but anyway, Joe Laverty asked next, is this a rebrand? Files then responded that she was, quote, articulating to the community. Now, Pete, I thought you'd like this. Now, anytime mm. that she has to say, what I'm articulating to the community is. Yeah. Um, that may be the first time she's used the word articulating, I reckon. I'm pretty sure that, like, Gerard Richardson said, listen, Tash, the problem with Gunner is he couldn't articulate things <laughs> properly. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, i got to use that somewhere. She used it a couple of times, that word. Note to self. Word. Yeah, so she's articulating to the community. If she starts saying significant, I'll know that there's something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> yeah, like the, the email I got from a listener of the podcast this week who said, does this mean she's going to become sweary Tash now? <laughs> but, yeah so let's wait and see but i think those idiots thought that worked pretty good last time when when yeah. gunner was the tough talking trash talking no nonsense chief minister who ain't effing around anymore sick effing around yeah. <laughs> and the abc presenter was like whoa why would you even do that like yeah. what well, this is live man there's no dump button for this conversation yeah. he's like well that's just how i feel that's how i feel um <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, probably, I don't know, we'll see what happens. I could see, yeah, Dash, the computer, the robot gets short-circuited and has a spray, (laughs) profanity-like spray. Yeah, so anyway, so she says this, that she's articulating to the community, 
this is just as you're doing a rebrand and she said, I'm articulating to the community that growing the NT economy can only be achieved through developing resources by promoting the gas industry and moving forward on the proposed middle arm development. She also pointed to, and then she said, then there's a number of EBA agreements that have recently been resolved. And then she says, you know, I've really focused around getting on with the job of what needs to be done as chief minister. So is this a rebrand? Gosh, it's- uh, no, she's that, that, little point there from start to finish is a load of hogwash the articulating bit you're absolutely right that words come from someone else the mm-hmm. bit about the is this a rebrand and then goes to crap on about the, the gas precinct that's just <laughs> yeah. i'm just trying to throw something out in front of you that hopefully catches your attention more than the rebrand and as far as the vba thing's concerned what the hell even is that to most people in public? They wouldn't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but anyway, wow. she's been focused around getting on with the job of what needs to be done as chief minister. So, yeah, and like I said, she wouldn't roll out that, that reshuffle either. Now, um, Richardson had been credited. Uh, we've talked about this with friends at the NT News. And I say that because you got to read this thing from December 21 where they said, like, oh, Michael Gunner was on fast track to know where he was going to lose at the election. Now, this is true. Um, yeah. But then two things happened, COVID and Gerard Richardson. And I was like, oh, my God. And then um, they went on to say how Gunner was dull and um, clumsy with his words. However, after Richardson came in, he was sharp and on point, And his <laughs> fingerprints were all over the line. Um, whatever these uh, trolls are doing in their basements in Florida, you know, that was all Gerard giving it to Gunner, and Gunner succeeded and was reelected. And it's like, whoa, no, yeah. no, 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 no. That is not what happened. Hey, <laughs> hey is he is he um, any relation to Graham Richardson, federal labor? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's I wonder. Or it's just the same surname. Yeah, it could be. Um, well, look, 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 here's the part that, and I'm glad you brought that up. Here's the part that the NT News forgot in, in their little piece about how great he is and the most powerful people. Um, and they had him at number 111 or something. But the thing that they forgot to mention in that is that this guy played a pretty large part in losing the unlosable federal election in 2019. He was one of Bill Shorten's men. Ah, uh, was he really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I forgot to mention No mention of that highlight. No, no, this guy is getting way too overblown here. Um, you know, yeah. I guess this tells us the files would unleash a pandemic on us all if it meant that she could be elected again. And that's really what this comes down to because well, that's, that's what, yeah, because that's what really got Gunner reelected last Absolutely. time. It had nothing to do with this guy. So no. she was given that option. All right, press here for a pandemic and, you know, yeah, thousands of people will die. But you'll be reelected or hired in. She didn't have that option, but I know if she did, she would have taken it. And you won't need to turn things around either. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you the other thing, Chris, too, that's just struck me like a ton of bricks is we were talking last week, I believe, and the previous week about how federal labor and territory labor have nothing to do with each other, i.e., mm-hmm. the ICAC situation. Well, this proves that to be incorrect. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Pete. I thought that that. That was interesting. That's and I think, yeah, we do see that. Like they'll they'll hire federal people here if those federal people would even be willing to come here. <laughs> but from what we understand, you know, Richardson was working for Gunner and then he decided, uh, stuff this, I'm gonna do a law degree. And I think it was probably after uh Files when Files became chief minister. So what we know is he's what we've heard is that he's started the CDU 
a lot of great CDUs, so he's been in town. Well, well, this is some money. We don't know how much, but yeah, look, no. And then Ivanovsky, she's told the uh, Sydney Morning Herald in the story that she continues to have catch-ups with Marles two, three times a week. Now, I think this guy's too busy. He should be to meet up with yeah. his old chief of staff. But, you know, she's she's intimating there that she's still a power player in federal labor. Right. Um, this is all interesting. If she's part of this this team that's been hired on, yeah, there's yeah. very much direct lines there. And, well, look, as far as it went with the ICAC, that was all nonsense anyway because, you know, trying to differentiate between the two isn't. But we know that a lot of the federal members up here don't really have a lot of respect for this anti-government and, yeah, you know, files uh, in the way she screwed up the, the um, stronger futures legislation and the crime issues and stuff like that. But when you start to have these people coming in from federal labor and being in there, you start to see more connections. But at that same time, like the fact that that's in the lead of the story with links to federal labor, you just got to think the federal labor is kind of cringing when they read that. Yeah. And thinking like, we don't, hands off that train. Please right? don't claim us. Yeah, we don't want anything to do with that. But they're actually going to have to do something. They're going to have to clean this place up. As we keep yeah. saying week after week after week, some sort of uh, administrative intervention. Yeah. Um, yeah, however, you know, she wants to play that like that, that she's still some sort of player. And she told them that she uh, desperately misses the importance and power that comes with being involved. There's nothing else like it, Ivanovsky said in the story, adding she was really happy she resigned from Marles' office last year, but still meeting with him three times a week for catch-ups. But my wife's like, I notice you're not as definite about never going back as you were a year ago. Well, guess what? She's back. And here's the thing that the people that these chiefs of staff and these kind of people don't like is this is the publicity for it. Now, she got it because she she thought, oh, I'm going to do this story. And there are other chiefs of staff, of really longer, more successful uh, politicians that they talk to. But I think she thought, oh, yeah, that'll be fun. We'll do that story. And then I know I'm going to the NT anyway through this little company I set up, and this won't be an issue. Well, I read this 10,000-word story, whatever it was. I found some of it very interesting. Yeah. She repeated herself, the reporter, a few times. Could have been shorter. But you got down to the back where she's saying that, and I thought, oh, I've got to put that in this story because, look, they've established this Brookline Advisory um, Proprietary Limited Consultancy Company just last month. Uh, contact address listed as being in a Geelong suburb. Uh, now, interesting. Yeah, I, one of them must be from down there. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, they just don't like the the light. They should be just horrified that we've connected all of this here. And they're yeah. both kind of in there. Um, but I just get back to that point. This this shows the files is not learned anything from the mistakes that Gunner made. She's not been critical of him despite saying she was, you know, blazing her own trail as leader. She has not. She's followed that. We had a party source in here saying Natasha has now embraced running this re-election campaign the same way Michael did in 2020. They're under investigation for corruption over that. And mm -hmm. and this is what's troubling. Uh, that the, They would just, she would just go down. She will do anything to win. We've seen that there, there's no ethics, there's no morals, there's no integrity anymore. And 12 months out, you know, the other thing, the other takeaway that a lot of people had from the story was, why the hell are we paying for these political opportunities yeah. to come in and give her a makeover 12 months out? And is that all they're doing? Well, yeah. we don't know. We asked, what are the terms of this contract? What services are being provided? Uh, how much is this costing taxpayers? Now, you know, I, I could try an FOI. They'll probably claim it's commercial inconfidence. Um, but, you know, we're going to get some more answers on this. And the fact that she answered it 
she probably shouldn't have answered Joe Laverty's question like that. She could have said, oh, it's, you know, staffing issues. But she didn't know. She was caught off guard, and I, and I quite enjoyed that. And that's, well, yes, Gerard works for me as he did for Michael. And it's just like, that. yeah, you've embraced everything. You've told us everything now. That, that you're just going to run this the exact same way as Michael Connor. So, mm. anyway, we're trying to get more on this, and uh, we'll see what this guy's doing and see if you notice a change in um, – messaging as they say narratives being changed um yeah but 12 months out and we're you know and yeah uh, the clp don't get that i mean they've hired their own people they have their opposition staff a budget which was slash terribly 2016 and remember the independents don't get any real staff i was just gonna say what about robin does robin get uh uh, she's the only one holding democracy to account doesn't she get a special uh advisor for 12 months she does this all herself. Like she's got a, an electorate officer down in Alice in her electorate office. Yeah. And she's got like access to some librarians at the state uh, library of parliament. Um, but yeah, to do some research for her, if that's what she needs. But no, they, uh, Gunner came in and just slashed the budgets of the opposition and the independents. And, and then, yeah, giving himself more. And uh, clearly using it to hire federal labor operatives to come in and, and she files are doing the same thing. And that's all playing into their hands now. But, look, you know, it may not be the next election that the opposition gets up, but at some point in time they will in the next hundred years. And, uh, and then guess what? They'll just do the same thing back to the then opposition. Yeah. Look, I'm yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, sorry, Pete, go ahead. Oh, just the other point I was going to make was uh, it's interesting that you talk about the link between, um, you know, federal labor and, and territory labor and the fact that the feds are probably cringing at some of the uh, verbiage coming out of the territory right now. I was actually privy to uh, an internal document that you may not have seen during the week. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, regarding the state of the territory. And uh, federal labor were pretty sure that they were going to be able to turn it around despite the train wreck that is the Northern Territory right now because they said, look, it should be easily fixable. It's just wear and tear. <laughs> That's what it all comes down to. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's more than that. These are fundamentally yeah. yes. flawed issues and um, yep. yeah, the whole place is coming down and it's uh, all based on so many factors. But basically, failure of leadership no integrity, not doing the right thing, cover-ups, not accepting responsibility, those things. And then that's what's led to us. The public service is falling down, all these fundamental institutions that we need. Mm. We just talked about how bad the police was, DPP. I mean, it's just, um, it's a mess. And look, I did genuinely read an article during the week regarding federal labor and specifically the prime minister. And the, the article basically went on to say that, um, as we say pretty much every week uh, regarding the Territory government, but it, it went on to say that you know, it's all well and good for Anthony Albanese to sort of ride this wave of popularism once he got in, but there's certain key things that are happening now and he's doing exactly the opposite of what he said he was going to do in regards to transparency. And so, you know, I, I don't know why people keep falling for this every single time, this concept of openness and transparency, it's got to be more than just lip service. It's got to be actually tested and and held to account. Uh, Absolutely, Pete. And and I'm telling you that, remember I told you it was in like the top three. 
issues in 2016 when territorians went to the poll was integrity and government and yeah. transparency and accountability and um and gonna rode that wave to electoral success uh you know to your point there but is there does that explain why the clp maybe aren't coming out and hammering this scandal plagued allegations of corrupt government uh, more because they're afraid that they're going to do it when they get in and and not that that matters but maybe they're like well we've got to because you know any government like you just said if albanese is doing that any government can come in and uh, as opposition and say we're going to clean it up and we're going to yeah. have integrity and then not follow through with it but why the hell is the clp not criticizing this government That's for the their most, failures it's like it's the most I troubling part I don't think they're going to do it, but maybe they're like, well, we're going to show what real integrity is, and we're not going to complain about this government being corrupt. We're going to be just as corrupt when we get in. Like, that's that's all that it comes down to now, and it's yeah. crazy. It's absolutely crazy that they wouldn't call them out on this. And we talked about pork barreling. Yeah. That was the thing that we gave the CLP. And, and if they were smart, they would have said, we're going to end it. We're going to end this where these grants are going out like this ahead of elections, like all this public money being used for election. Like, they could say we're going to clean this up, we're going to end it, but they wouldn't even touch it. They wouldn't even touch that area. So, it's the most I, troubling part for me is the fact that they go missing on key things, and these are key things that you know we talk about this every week. They're literally teed up, ready, ready to be kicked, and they say nothing. So you yeah. think, oh, okay. So you're basically setting yourselves up to say, well, well, at least we never came out and said it. We just continued on with the the rorts. Or do you just say it because there's going to be people on your side of the fence who are going to agree with you wholeheartedly? Yeah, look, look, I did go to the opposition on this story. I should say that after the story came out, this was the first story I didn't just, and I was going to do a follow-up, but their, their lines were just so weak. And they came back to me with, once again, Natasha Foss proof she is all about managing the optics, not managing the territory. Territorians don't want their money spent polishing her tired excuses. Territorians known to files as failings are more than wear and tear and won't be taken for fools. Yeah, wear and tear things could bring that up. But, you know, that, those are pretty weak lines for something like this, where she's hiring this operative, where she's basically like, we have people in the in her own party saying that she's going to run this campaign like Gunner, and the opposition isn't going to seize on that and come out and say, like, I. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know what they're doing, man. I honestly have no idea. And every week I seem to be complaining more about them, and every week they seem to go further and further underground here because they're not coming out on it. Correct. So. And 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 they've only missed the most obvious line there was. If you're going to be referring to polishing, I mean, polishing yeah. a turd would be the most obvious one. <laughs> yeah. But like you and you were saying the other day, they didn't want to suggest the files as a turd or anything. I don't know. <laughs> you wouldn't have taken the lipstick yeah uh, yeah bloody hell <laughs> all right look let's move on to the next one because this is yeah. as troubling as the first two and this re- is regarding the whole hospital system with the ama president coming out on the latest hospital code yellow that's been announced saying that this is just a formal recognition that the system is in crisis uh, yeah, again, right? Like, I mean, this was the 10th, like last financial year and now into this year, it's been 10 or something, Code Yellows. It's getting to the point where, like, just expect it to be a Code Yellow. And you tell us when it isn't, we put out the release yeah. thing. It's not a Code Yellow anymore. Yeah, today's um, not a Code Yellow day. No, and, and look, there's still some confusion 
around that and what that means exactly. Now, earlier it meant, like last year, it meant that they were canceling surge, elective surgeries, right? And all reallocating staff for admission and discharge processes. Apparently, that's not what it means anymore. I don't know. It's really frustrating because you can't actually get comment. And for some reason, the other media people aren't asking, like, well, you know, we, we can send questions. They're just not going to respond to us. But the other media, I, I just don't understand the failure to, to ask simple questions sometimes. Like, really? But what are you basing this on? Now, you've gotten then what happens in that is people come out and just say what they think is going on. Now, Robert Parker, ahead of the AMANT, he was on Mix Today saying, well, I don't really know what this could be, you know, caused by um anything he said to bed block now that's kind of um how he would put it for uh not having enough um beds essentially for the demand that's there there's also those issues that we brought up before that had um you know seniors was one that they're taking up a lot of beds in the hospital mm. because there's not enough senior care um available uh, right. in darwin so that might be one issue but like why doesn't the government just come out and say what these issues are and here's what we're doing now anyway he said um the cause depends he said he said uh, a code yellow indicates a level of acuity it may be an it issue that's true too that's that <laughs> I, I remember that before there's all these things that a code yellow could pertain to and yeah. they're not really telling us it may be something else that's causing it. it could be a particular area of medicine you know like surgery or mental health that's putting pressure or that's yeah. getting pressure put on it that it can't cope with he said i suppose each code yellow is different at to a degree and all it indicates is a formal level of recognition that the system is in crisis right. that right. much we get we get that We've got yeah. so many problems. I keep doing this. It's clearly a system in crisis. Yeah. Um, and he said, what doctors are telling me is the system has been underfunded by both sides of politics for years, and it's catching up, as I pointed out. Well, and that's just on that one, though, really. What was it, 18 of the past 22 years, the Labor Party's been yeah, in yeah. power. But anyway, uh, and as I pointed out in my letter to the minister many years ago, this is Robert Parker saying, he said at that stage in 2019, he said the hospitals were already under significant stress, which hasn't got better. And so the pressure continues. There's been significant underfunding of beds, And it's coming. It's now coming to a point where the system is just not coping, going from co-jello to co-jello. It just increases the stress on staff that staff are under. Um, yeah, um, this is not good. Uh, and we know this, and it just keeps happening. The government just seems to be blase about it all now. Oh, well, it's just another code yellow, and we'll put this out at 6.30 at night, 6.45, or whenever that one was <laughs> last night. So, yeah, uh, the COP has come out here now today to criticize, saying that uh, it, the government shown it cannot provide essential services. It might be a little hyperbolic there, but <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, the files government has tried again. This is uh, Bill Yan, opposition CLP health spokesman. The files government has tried again to pass this off as normal, as they did in estimates, where the chief minister, his health minister, wouldn't answer questions on the impact code yellows are having here in the territory. This is absolutely not normal, he said. It means territorians are missing out on surgeries and taxpayers are paying more. Uh, he continued that now in written responses to see how he have uncovered that in the last 12 months, 
Royal Darwin and Palmerston have, been, have spent 46 days in Code Yellow, over nine instances. Another discovery is that this labor government, due to their bed capacity shortage, has had to buy bed services off Darwin Private Hospital, something, again, they were not forthcoming about. Well, this is it, right? This, this is what I'm getting at, is that they're not explaining this to people. So that said, now he said taxpayers paid over uh, half a million dollars buying bed services from Darwin Private during Code Yellow's in the last financial year. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're not keeping up with the demand. It's these aged care beds. He brought that up too, and we saw that Dr. Parker had. So, um, yeah, and they're saying we're going to see more uh, Code Yellow's because they're not keeping up with the demand for aged care beds. So that's what we need here. Um, yeah, that's a concern, isn't it? I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, you don't think of Darwin as having a particularly large, uh, you know, old age segment, but obviously there's there's not enough yeah. beds or care for those in that age group, even though there's new, um, you know, old age homes being built in and around Darwin. Yeah, 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 yeah. And remember, there was there was an issue with one where they got their license taken away. Remember we did that story a year and a half ago, a couple of years ago? Yes, yes. Which was just horrifying stuff that was going on there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we got some problems here, but, you know, it's just the basic information. I think stop hiding behind the code, Jello. Just say what it is and um, be up front with territories about the problem you need to address. Yeah, because if it's not major, like when I say not major, like if IT issues can be one of them. So if the emails go down and that's suddenly a code yellow, <laughs> well, that's a lot different to there's not enough beds and people need those beds and there's critical care yeah. issues that aren't being addressed. Yeah. Well, look at it, but it, that's really the journalist's job is to go and find that out. And um, look, we, we can, unfortunately, on those things, we can to some extent. We do have sources. We haven't heard anything particular on this right now. Um, yeah. And that's usually where we get our stuff from well connected insiders. But um, the other journalists, just easy, just go and ask them, call up files yeah. as a health minister and say, what's going on here? Um, yeah. And just, uh, we'll just pause here for a quick advertisement, Chris. Um, the uh, Chris Walsh College of New Journalist School opens this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I believe it's subsidized by the government too, Chris. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I won't comment on that right now, but... Um, yeah, come on, you guys, just ask the questions. Yeah, like I just like, but like I said, I always wanted us all to work together here and Darwin and the media, and um, everything will be better. But anyway, yeah, yeah. it's um, just simple stuff. But then that, that becomes frustrating sometimes. Yeah, it does. And and look, without you know making light of it, without pointing the finger at anyone other than you, um, it, it, we've got to ask some of those basic questions because this code yellow thing at this point, is a mystery to most of us. We need to know what it's actually pertaining to on these 46 days and whether it's, you know, dangerous or something that needs to be addressed from a medical standpoint. That, that's the yeah. most important thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, people. All right, let's move on to the next story, Chris. And uh, another body drops a criminal complaint against a senior NT police detective citing that it is no longer or not in the public interest. Yeah, look back to dysfunction and um, public bodies here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, I don't know. Like, look, last week we were discussing, Pete, the issue of um, 
of this very serious allegation made against a senior detective guy named Wayne Newell, uh, who played a key role in that Zach Rolf murder investigation, which we've talked about at great length, and the NT Independent has, um, you still go and see our special investigation section there for all of that to bring you up to date if you, if you aren't, aren't aware of uh, what's gone on. But I think what last week we were saying that the ICAC had essentially handballed it back to the police saying he wasn't looking at it for whatever his reasons were. And um, yeah, you got the idea there that that might've been what the police wanted. Um, now at some point, what we well, what we found out was that at some point uh, this complaint was also referred by the police brass to the ombudsman to investigate. A guy named Peter Scheuer is our ombudsman. Now, in a letter last week, uh, Scheuer told police he would not be investigating the complaint and that the matter was, quote, not in the public interest. Now, this is what I'm saying. Like, how, how on earth a, a credible allegation um, backed up with police own coronial reports that showed that Wayne Newell was editing, quote-unquote, editing a supposedly independent forensic experts uh, report, and then in other cases withholding, um, you know, information that was given to him by other key witnesses, withholding that from the defense. And we also know about how those coronial reports were overall withheld from the defense mm-hmm. until they found about found out about it and subpoenaed after the the committal had already happened. I mean, it's just <clears throat> it's crazy. And and one, the ICAC has now said he's not doing it. We got two, the ombudsman. Now this reminds me, and I'm saying to Pete of the McRoberts stuff. Now, when John McRoberts, the police commissioner at the time in 2015, um, when he gets stood down or he stands down or whatever over these allegations that he perverted the course of justice, which is also the allegation at this point. We're not saying that it's true against Noel, but that's the allegation that's been made. But what happened with, with McRoberts was uh, we, we couldn't investigate it. Like, there was no body here uh, that either yeah. wasn't conflicted or had the experience to do it. Now, Peter Shore, the ombudsman, was one of them. Now, I did a story about how he, when I was at the Antique News, about how he hadn't investigated anything at that point three years in as uh, as ombudsman, 4,000 complaints or something, mm-hmm. and they couldn't point to one investigation he had done. So <clears throat> I think that they, they ended up bringing in a, uh, a retired ombudsman from Victoria uh, to memory to, to do this. Um, then we had an issue with what was PID, Public Interest Disclosure, She's the information commissioner now, and she couldn't investigate it because she was friends with Mike Roberts's girlfriend. She then gave the most important investigation to um, a, uh, a an amateur fantasy writer that was her offside. Okay, offsider, and uh, yeah, and what he said, would you have had more respect if she was a professional fantasy writer? I said, yes, yes, I would have. Um, so, yes. you know, we revealed that and they didn't know what to do. And all of that brought, they ended up bringing this ombudsman up, this retired guy. But the biggest part of that, Pete, was the AFP. Now, the reason that McRoberts ultimately was convicted and he went to jail. And then let's just stop and appreciate that for a minute. That somebody here was actually held accountable for their actions. Yeah. At one time, Like a public figure like that. Usually... Yeah. 
it's the private people, you know, like the guy they pin the whole uh, yeah. uh, indigenous employment provisional sum for construction companies on one little guy, private yeah. guy. He went to jail. Yeah, Jana commences for all the travel agents. She's the only one who went to jail, but there are all kinds of travel agents stealing more. Even the flight center stole millions and they were never held accountable. Um, you know, but the one time, yeah, there there was Mick Roberts, the, the the police commissioner, was found guilty of perverting the course of justice, and he went to jail. Um, but that was thanks to the AFP doing this investigation. So back now to this complaint about perverting the course of justice into Wayne Newell. We're not saying he did it. That hasn't been proven. Um, but these are pretty serious allegations that go to the heart of integrity in the anti-police force and up the chain of command. So, yeah, for them to say that. So I, I went to the AFP and I said, like, you know, your commissioner would remember this, by the way. Maurice <laughs> Gershaw took yeah, over yeah. Roberts after Roberts. And he remembered that the NT has a little problem here investigating our own. So will the, and maybe that, I, I'd say Gershaw, sure. I don't know. But they were very curt in their response to me. <laughs> yeah, and like at 7.30 hey, last Friday. No, we won't. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, let me find here what they said. It was. This is not a matter for the AFP. That, that was it. This is not a matter for the AFP. And I said, well, have 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 the anti-police executive have they referred this to you? Will you consider coming? And you came in during the McRoberts thing. Will you consider? Yeah. And that was it. I was the response. This is not a matter for the AFP. Well, that's not good enough. And and I'll tell you, like I was telling you last week. The anti police executive, even if they said at this point in time or something, to give yeah. us hope, you know, <laughs> yeah, give us hope <laughs> because, but I mean, look, this is what they wanted, this is what the anti police wanted. Was I told you they were washing their hands last week and saying, Oh, we've given it to the ICAC. That story never would have got out if it wasn't for the anti independent that, that the ICAC wasn't investigating it. Now, this story wouldn't have got out that they also at some point gave it to the ombudsman. Now, this would have come out. This would have come out. Now, I think that yeah. they're still going to or that we're going to come out and say, yeah, we've dropped this matter. The ombudsman says it's not in the public interest to investigate. The ICAC uh, has now informed us that he's not done anything either. So this case yeah. is closed and they want to walk away from it. Now, one of the sources there was saying, and I think you got to think about this, um, uh, one source said the ombudsman dropping the investigation isn't about protecting Newell. The source familiar with the matter told the Independent, this is about protecting the senior executive and those who have been promoted after the Rolf investigation. Because mm. there's connections everywhere here. It isn't just Newell. There's a lot of people who were promoted who, who, who you know, this still will probably, well, I don't know if it will come out in the uh, inquest. Because remember, that thing's still going on. <laughs> um, yeah, I often wonder what's happening with that. Not well, bad. it was supposed to be July, and now it's been pushed back to October, and this is just for more hearings. Like, I think we're all done. I think she could have written this thing by now. Um, so, yeah, look forward to it finally being resolved maybe next year, late next year sometime. I don't know. But um, yeah. in the meantime, there's a lot of stuff here. Remember that the ICAC has more information that he's not releasing until after that inquest. And yeah. some of that is like why he didn't have oversight of this very issue, this McRo or this um, Rolf investigation, the murder investigation into Rolf, where there have been all these allegations, including by decorated officers in their coronial reports that 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 you know misconduct occurred, um, and then they just seem not to want to look at that. I, I 
yeah. And then, and then you got to ask who's it protecting here and what happens when we get a proper commissioner? Will we get a proper commissioner? Are they going to handle this and call the AFP immediately? But, you know, their response tells me that, that the police here haven't done it. And that was their strategy all along. Well, just say the ICACs dropped it. The ombudsman's dropped it. Sorry, guys, it's over. Uh, I don't think they're going to get away with that now. We'll be pushing. We'll be putting the pressure on them on this. And, and I'm hoping that a new that we get somebody from outside sometime soon to come in who sees like first order business is cleaning the place up and it starts with the executive and what's been allowed to transpire and all of this. What's the definition of in the public interest, Chris? <laughs> well, that's, it's interesting because it is, you know, subjective kind of term. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But he said now, yeah, I should point that out that the ombudsman had said something here about how, well, he got a spokesperson to come back to us. Said a decision that an ombudsman investigation would not be in the public interest is not a decision that investigation by any any entity for any purpose would be contrary to the public interest. Right. So the ombudsman seems to think he's the arbiter of public interest. Um, yeah, and that well, what he's saying is, well, I don't find it in the public interest, but maybe another entity, another body that wants to investigate may find it in the public interest. But like, what the hell are you determining it on, Shoyer? And, uh, and I've got to say, how? given given what you told me on news bites and what you've just backed up now, is that has that office investigated enough things to be able to really determine what is in the public interest? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, Pete. I don't know what his record is these days. I know that he has done more. I've seen some more things. But, I mean, Jesus, right. yeah, he better have in eight years. We still haven't done anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I think, look, I think that's a very valid point is, is what kind of threshold was he using to determine what's in the public yeah. interest. It, it, this, this was such a public case that attracted media from all over the country. I mean, you you remember like we were on Media Watch. We were you know, uh, the Australian was reporting on on our stuff mm. that we had when we were breaking this, these stories about what was actually going on and what was in yeah. those coronial reports. So th this is very much in the public interest and it very much goes to the integrity of our police force and the senior executive members. Um, yeah. there, there's nothing more important or in the public interest than that. Yeah, maybe the new public public interest um, uh, threshold should be tested by somebody with a clipboard walking down Smith Street Mall and mm -hmm. asking a hundred people. And if more than fifty people say yes, I'm interested to know what happened there. Public. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, and look, yeah, and then this just like that's the thing though. But this even goes past just that kind of idea too. Is that like this is it? Like you don't just leave a cloud hanging over the integrity of such a, a fundamental institution as the police force yeah. um just because the executive thinks that it's convenient for them like they if they had any respect for their own organization they'd want the afp to come in and investigate and if he finds something fine if the afp finds something they find out if they mm -hmm. find something then you got to act and you got to clean it up that is i'm telling you that's what our source is saying they're afraid of that of what would be yeah. found and how how far the the rock goes uh, okay all right. Well, um, I'm getting the impression we're going to be discussing more about that <laughs> or related issues. So yeah. I'll, I'll stand by. Um, let's move to the next story. And uh, one we also talked about during News Bites, the Lee Point housing project shutdown uh, is going to impact territory business, according to several industry sources, Chris. 
it is. And I guess, you know, that that's, that's kind of the cost of these things sometimes. And I know that a lot of people were happy to see that, uh, uh, that development halted. Um, and, and, and I guess kind of stopped until voluntarily suspended uh, until the end of March next year. Now that's Defense Housing Australia's um, uh, response to yeah, those issues about the environmental concerns, which they thought they had addressed, but I guess it was still coming up. And then also um, it was Larakia's, um, Larakian Nations, and traditional owners saying that while they had earlier approved the development, they had withdrawn their support and aired their opposition to the project, citing significant areas of cultural heritage located within the site. Mm. Um, now, that gets interesting, and that's um, how did that all, and I hope that that all comes out eventually, exactly how that went down, because that, that, a lot of people, I think, are left scratching their head, like, well, wait a second. You guys were told about this like way back in 2015, and then you signed off on it in 2021 just two years yeah. ago, and now you're saying that, wait, found something. So something's gone on there, most definitely. But what um, these, uh, you know, <laughs> business bodies have come out and said uh, is that um, it's, it's definitely going to lead to um, uh, significant economic issues here. Um, the Housing Industry Association anti-executive director, Luis Espinoza said this news couldn't have come at a worse time for the Northern Territory. Mm. He said, we're slowly coming out of the long pipeline of housing construction generated through COVID and the government stimulation packages and those businesses who are depending on the work this project would provide uh, will have to stop work and wait anxiously for outcomes which may yet stall further. Uh, yeah, they, you know, concerned about this stuff. Um, Greg Ireland with the Chamber of Commerce also said that, um, you know, housing, he said, my understanding was all the required compliances have been taken care of, but we're seeing more interruptions, hurdles, and challenges to developments in and around this region. And you start to look at that, right, and what, what other, you know, businesses, private entities, even interstate, oh, well, it's going to be too much problem doing business yeah. up in the NT. He said, housing is one of our key shortages and an enabler for future growth and defense is investing billions into the region and they'll need housing as much as the private sector and it will make it harder and more difficult to do business in the territory. Um, yeah, you know, I just think that when when they come up here, we like to show all sides of everything. We did the story last week where, you know, the, the, the uh, opponents to the development were, were quite happy with how things um, panned out there, and I think you, you'd seen video probably on some of the television news of the people celebrating, and you know, yeah, I mean, look, this, this is what they wanted, um, but there are, of course, consequences. There's going to be issues with that, and this is one now that the business community is saying, well, you know, it doesn't make us look too good here when we're doing business, and also the construction industry needed that, needed that project. Um, now, of course, um, Larkia Nation chairperson Jerome Cabello He's saying uh, that they they are calling for a permanent halt on the project after meeting with DHA Chief Executive Barry Jackson in Canberra last week. Um, he said they want them to look for alternative sites that they say would be more appropriate. We're not averse to development. I want to support the territory's major industries and private sector, he says, to ensure they've got business certainty. But we're saying learn the lessons from Lee Point and learn from us earlier where future development is earmarked. 
Um, and then he threw some ideas around. Why don't you go to the Alicos, uh Northcrest development, put it there. He said there were other places, Holtz and Kawanda. Um, yeah, he said, we want to ensure we find a middle ground to ensure we support DHA to develop the critical housing we need in Darwin. What we found was not enough appropriate consultation was done. Well, I don't know. The project approved in 2015, um, like I said, and has gone on there uh, for a while. So that's, that's you know, I don't know if all that story's gone. I've heard things, can't prove anything at this point. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, that would be interesting to see why it was kind of held up and, um or why it has now, why, why that, why that backflip, because that is a complete backflip, um, to say you're supporting it as an organization and then not. Um, but look, again, some people are, are, are really happy about this and, and keeping that land out there, which is beautiful land. At one point, I remember, uh, uh, Giles was talking about how Gina Reinhardt wanted to build this like private cancer clinic there. Okay. And she wanted her rich patients to overlook the ocean there at Lee Point. Yep. We laughed at Giles at that time, and we were right to laugh at Giles at that time. <laughs> Any other times, because <laughs> yeah. that didn't happen. But you know, then they probably and they, it would have been objected. It is a nice area, and I and I get where they're coming from. The interesting only other point that I'll make on this, Pete, that politically was interesting is the files is like running from this. Uh, she was asked about this, and she said, oh, "I'm going to say, like, you know, the anti-government's not involved, and it's not our issue. It's between DHA, defense housing, and um, you know, the federal government." And uh, and uh, I'm just wondering why she doesn't politically say anything about that, yeah. um, because you would think that she could get some support for one side or the other. But I'm guessing it would be the um, the ones who got that stopped and didn't want to see the development there. But she's not willing to to walk out on this issue at all, which is just interesting, I think. It is. And look, the only thing I'll say on it in relation to, let's call it a backflip, is what, I'm not suggesting anyone's right or anyone's wrong, but it makes a pretty difficult business environment if something's approved. And then two years later, mm-hmm. one of the groups that could have opposed it a few years ago and who signed off on it have now turned around and are opposing it. Yeah, I'm not... As I say, I'm not laying blame. Maybe there was a discovery none of us knew about, and that's what's causing it. But it it does make very uncertain business conditions yeah. if if you have these types of, of things happening. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it is unusual, I think. And um, like I said, I'm hoping we get more on that because I think the public should know what's happened here. And the only thing I'll say about the other issue that you brought up is um, while we were laughing at Giles then, He's all laughing at us now with his multi-million dollar job working for Gina. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think we can still laugh at Giles. <laughs> he's yeah. um, he's doing what he has to do for Buck, I guess. And um, cool, man, whatever. <laughs> you know, Gunner's doing the same. So That's it. That's it. All right, let's move on to the next story, uh, and that is a bushfire at Darwin River is being treated as suspicious by the police, Chris. Yeah, this is another one, Pete, where, um, sorry, I'm just a little annoyed with the reporting on it, and again, I can't get it on this particular thing. Um, you know, our people were trying to get more info on this. Like, to, to say that, now, that one, we know that this big bushfire happened down Darwin River uh, area. Um, Leonino Road. Uh, now, 
yeah, they it, look, it was a massive response, right? It involved helicopters, other aircraft, occurred just before 1 p.m. on uh, what day that was, Tuesday, I think. Um, and, you know, it caused considerable damage to structures. We're hearing now about a, a guy in a home that uh, yeah. lost his home, uh, which is terrible. And that, that was good. You know, it was good that the reporters got out there and got that. Um, forced residents to flee from their homes. Now, they're treating, they're saying that the, the police said it's suspicious. Um, but there's this other thing. So then, you know, Bushfire's NT director, Colin Bremner, told ABC that a fire, uh, fire investigator on the scene determined the fire was lit off the roadside. We've certainly reported it to police as a deliberate ignition, which just blows your mind that people uh, continue to do that type of thing. And then she added somewhere in there that the throwing burning things out of a car window could be behind the place. Cigarette butts? Well, this is it, Pete. Now, this is what I don't understand and why that couldn't have been made more clear. Because I, I think that there's quite a difference Absolutely. between someone being careless and throwing a butt out. And then deliberately, like in my mind, if somebody's running around with a jerry can full of fuel. Correct. And pouring it down and laughing, dropping matches and laughing <laughs> and running. But, yeah. I mean, that that's terrible. But if this is carelessness and, and, yeah. and perhaps criminal carelessness if you're flicking cigarette butts at the car yeah. into dry grass but but you know I, that's completely different and it's i would just like some clarification what are we actually talking about here are yeah. we talking about some pyromaniac or are we talking about some idiot who, who yeah, flipped yeah. a cigarette butt out the window in these dry conditions yeah and that's like yeah you know you would think that that would be simple that somebody would just ask that question but again that doesn't happen some days here and so now yeah. that said, it's been reported to police. The police say the cause of the fire is being treated as suspicious. Investigators appealing for information from anyone who may have witnessed suspicious behavior in the area. Now, again, what, what exactly does that mean? Or may have dash cam footage. Yeah, call them, quote reference numbers. Um, yeah, they're investigating. And uh, we'll see what happens if it is from a butt. I think people forgot to remember just how dry it can be. Yeah, yeah. And we, we've seen some other fires started by butts this year that maybe didn't get as crazy as that one, but but did start. So you've just got to yeah, got to be cognizant of that when you're driving around. Correct, and it's a lot less common these days, right? And I know that what I'm about to say is probably going to raise a few eyebrows, but. It's one of my biggest bugbears is people driving around flicking cigarette butts out the window, mm. right? Because one, it's littering. That, that's a fact. Two, these are bloody toxic things that make their way into the waterways mm. and, you know, cause all sorts of issues for fish and bird life and, and everything else. And if you're going to smoke, which I guess it's people's right at this stage until it gets completely banned by the government, that's fine. But it's the same as I don't finish my can of drink and throw the can on the ground and walk away. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and one. this thing's a bloody, you know, it, it's a, um, it's a fire starter essentially. Mm. And oh god, yeah. But you're absolutely right to say it's suspicious is fine. But what are we dealing with here? A deliberately yeah. lit fire, <laughs> or some idiot that flicked their butt out the window that you know is naturally going to catch on fire in those sort of conditions? Yeah, yeah, it was mixed messaging there, and Bremner saying that that it's a deliberate ignition, which just blows your mind. That can people, the people continue to do that type of thing, and you're thinking like, remember that lunatic with the mask? Who, yeah, yeah, he was lighting cars on fire and yeah, stuff, and it's yeah, like, and Jesus, stealing a new one. Yeah, is this what we're talking about here? But like, no. But then she got into about throwing burning things. She didn't even say butts. She was just throwing burning things. What other burning things? Like, 
I don't know what they're talking. I just think Relative that, cocktails. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and so what we're talking about. I mean, the public needs to um, just be given that information. I think this is just basic stuff. Like, what do you really suspect has gone on here? Yeah. Um, could this have started? But I don't know why these questions aren't asked by the media in the, in the interviews, the press conferences, man. I, I don't know. And to the uh, individual that gave the quotes, do you reckon you could use a better quote than blows my mind in that situation? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Colin Bremner. Uh, so we hear more about the truth. We get uh, Yeah, I think so. I think this has got some pretty big coverage. Hopefully we'll get some answers and everything. We'll do what we can, talk to our sources. Okay. See what we can find. Yeah. All right. No worries. Let's move on to the next story. And a political stoush over calls for a federal inquiry into land councils is uh, kicking off, Chris. Yeah. So this is, uh, of course, just sent the price. Um, I think a lot of people probably tying this into the voice and the, 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 the political yeah. struggle. Everything is. Jesus. Like, I don't know Everything if you saw that. We, were, we did a story about Garma Festival happening. It's an innocent, innocuous story about that. It went out around the country on social media with every lunatic <laughs> commenting and making it all about the voice. And we're like, what yeah, the hell? Yeah. What, are you, what are you people talking about? I mean, it took me hours to go through and get rid of a lot of these stupid comments. Yeah. In other cases, it was like a, a, a measured debate between yes and no, which is good to see. But again, we weren't providing the form for that uh, in that particular it's about story. The festival, you yeah. that. So, so everything now is, you know, this, this, this voice stuff. Anyway, we'll get into that uh, another time, but um, that's kind of seen as the pretext here on this one. But um, uh, yeah, Senator Jacinta Nambuchimba prices calls for a federal inquiry now into the effectiveness of indigenous land councils. So she wants that referred, uh, but these calls have been criticized by labor and the Central Land Council is a waste of time and a political stunt. Now, Price introduced this motion to refer land councils and similar organizations to the Finance and Public Administration References Committee on Wednesday in the Senate. It was backed by SA Senator Karen Little and supported by Victoria Senator Lydia Thorpe. Price accused land councils of neglecting traditional owners. She said this proposed inquiry would examine the role, governance, and accountability of land councils, the scope of services delivered, and uh, and how they affect communities. It would also investigate how traditional owners are consulted in decision-making and how councils and governing bodies assess funding applications. Now, I think we know that there's issues with land councils and, uh, yes. you know, it just does when an organization yeah, it gets that big, um, you know, yeah, there's going to be problems. And uh, she's saying that now, look, that she wants, you know, this, this kind of oversight, increased scrutiny into what the land councils are doing. The motion, of course, was quickly criticized by the Central Land Council Chief Executive Lex Turner said that an inquiry would be wasteful and duplicate already existing bodies that constantly review land councils. NT land councils are among the most successful and most reviewed organizations in the country. And the CLC has demonstrated over and over that we are well-governed, transparent, and effective, Turner said in a statement. Um, yeah, and he, and he talked about national... Look, there are the bodies who come in and do this, an intensive performance audited, audit by the Australian National Audit Office, one of a series of audits of NT land councils to be tabled this year alone, Turner said. The motion would only duplicate these rigorous reviews, confirming the CLC's effective representation of Aboriginal Territorians. Um, now, Lydia Thorpe had earlier told the Senate that Aboriginal corporations are presently not aiding communities on the ground. 
that they were aloof from the needs of the public. She said, people in the Latrobe Valley are so poor, we have young people stealing food from our old people, and we have a deadly native title corporation up the road that's raking in millions. We want accountability and transparency and corruption to end so that our people get what these organizations are meant to be giving. So, yeah, you're going to have some differing of opinion there, but these are all Indigenous um, politicians, senators who brought this forward. Um, now, Scrimja, Marin Scrimja, of course, Labour member for Lingiari, uh, which I noticed that no one else, the other reports I don't think pointed out that she just most recently was the CEO of the Northern Land Council. Uh, she called Price's motion a political stunt um, and said that she should try and find a way forward, a pathway forward to deal with the intractable problems that we see on the ground in our communities rather than the political stunt that she's done three times into the Senate to get a review into land councils. Scrimjaw mm-hmm. told ABC Radio today. So, um, yeah, yeah, look, it's a, it's an issue here. You get the sense that these bodies are happening, but we've also got these other stories coming out that, that maybe they aren't. Um, yeah. you know, living up to the expectations um, and not providing them for enough people. Yeah, uh, yeah you know. How do you how do you how do you get that? How do you get into that? You know, they have these bodies who are supposed to be investigating. Yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult thing. It is a difficult one. I think um, in any situation when you're putting forward a motion like that to try get to try and getting trying to get some support, mm-hmm. I'll spit it out eventually. Um, whenever Lydia Thorpe's on your side. You might, you might be barking up the wrong tree. I've seen her negotiation skills out the front of a strip club earlier this year. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's not doing much good. But, yeah, but, you know, yeah, when they're raising these issues and, yeah, you know, like we've we've talked uh, before about um, just the different councils in different places, like around, yeah. right, in the communities more. Um, yep. And even these bigger land councils, when you get into those kind of communities and, and how some of that stuff's going on, you know that there's there's stuff going on that shouldn't be going on and money money being squandered. Um, yeah, so. We were only talking about it last week, weren't we, Chris? Which which yeah. land council were we talking about last week that the feds did the uh, audit on? That uh, oh, that was up in Tiwi. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and listen, it may not be intentional. It might be lack of education, it might be lack of a lot of things that, you know, it's it's not pointing the finger at anybody specifically or individually. It's just, yeah. it's it's fair enough to have decent amount of insight into these groups. Yeah, and ensuring that they're following through with what their legislative requirements are. Because in two weeks, yeah. you saw that they just did not, they weren't following what they, they were just weren't running it properly. Yeah, yeah. And you need to be able to do that. And so we hope that these bodies do find it. Does it need to be an inquiry? Maybe if you had something that, that really kicked it off, Yeah. right? Um, but this does, you know, start to look like that, that it's done for political purposes rather yeah. than, you know, if you had some big incident, you're like, okay, we've got to, we got to start looking into this stuff. We need an inquiry. Yeah. yeah, when are we going to get that? Uh, I don't know. We know that there are issues in the smaller councils, most definitely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. The good news yeah. with the Tiwis, though, was, uh, you know, despite the federal government finding hundreds of flaws and things that needed to be fixed, NT government was absolutely A-OK with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kept shoveling the money out to them. Didn't ask <laughs> any questions. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Oh, Chris. All right. Uh, 
federal stuff now. The Australian Defence Force has uh, launched their first inter-range missile yeah. in the NT, Chris. Yeah, I'm sure this will put everybody's nerves at ease here. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But they're doing this now. More missiles is what we need. Yeah. Hey, that's, how, that's how the Americans have fixed all their gun problems, Chris. More guns. Yeah. How do you get peas with a knife, my <laughs> friend? Um, <laughs> the ADF, yeah, successfully firing this ballistic missile now is be- between two NT defense bases. First time on Australian soil, they tell us, as part of the recently concluded exercise Talisman Sabre. So this long-range surface-to-surface missile was transported to Delamere Air Weapons Range, um, south of Catherine, you know where that is, using a Hercules C-130 from central Queensland. It was fired 260 kilometers at a target at the Bradshaw Field Training Area near Timber Creek. So yeah, this this missile was hurtling towards Timber Creek. Uh, took seven minutes to travel that 260-kilometer distance, hit the target successfully. Uh, I think you had head of regiment Brigadier Damian Hill saying, this is just an evolution of previous missile launches with the U.S. military, like you said here, uh, and the ability for us to protect Australia with systems such as these, whether it be the distances we're talking about, at least demonstrating we can defend Australia and its national interest, and it's really important that we do so. Uh, Talisman Sabre gives us a glimpse of what we might seek to undertake as far as acquisitions we may consider in the future. Um, yes, they, they've taken 200 days to plan for this seven-minute uh, missile flight. Wow. Um, but he said we needed to make sure we work with all the other government agencies, such as civil aviation, of course. You don't want to be taking down a plane at any point. <laughs> I mean, those Jetstar flights are unreliable. Right? <laughs> yeah, when they're circling around because they can't land on the tarmac in Darwin. <laughs> and then you take it down. Um, you take one out with a missile. Yeah, Jesus, that would be bad. Um, so, yeah, and the territory government, just to ensure that when we undertake this, we understand what risk we're applying and we can do so safely, um, Damien Hill said. Uh, then you had Major John Ronay was on the ground at Delamere during the launch. Now, he said this is a rehearsal for employing the system and a demonstration of capability. Mm-hmm. That's what you'd expect the military man to say. Exactly Major right. John Ronan. Um, I actually did see recently there was um, – some get together between the Australian government and the US government. I'm going to say per- perhaps the UK as well. But the <laughs> big the big outcome from it was that Australia and the US had, had agreed for the US to build anti missile defence capability into Australia. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, that's not going to put us more on the target, is it? By- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All of this stuff, yeah, just this, yeah, does get you thinking about what's, you know, what's yeah, on yeah. the horizon here. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the, the, the drums beating loud, louder and louder here. Yeah. Didn't the, didn't the North Koreans at one stage specifically um, mention Darwin in their capabilities of no, well, it wasn't them. It was it was some military experts, I think, out of the states. But saying that the, the China from some of their southern islands that they created yeah. now have the capacity to hit mainland Australia with their missiles. Wow! And so, yeah, that's a concern. Yeah. All right. Well, we might leave that one, and uh, with no relation to that story whatsoever, 
the um, uh, it's just been announced this week for seven return flights a week between Singapore and Darwin, Chris. Yeah, that's right. It's not, this is Singapore Airlines, again, who's kind of increasing from the end of March to October next year. They will uh, kind of increase the number of flights it's offering to, um, I think it was, yeah, seven from five. So it was five they were doing. Right uh, will now be full seven days a week return flights. Uh, the company said the increase along with increased flights to other destinations around the country supported the strong demand for air travel the company's key markets. Um, yeah, daily flights leaving Singapore now at um, what time? Eight thirty a.m. landing in Darwin at two forty-five. With the return flight leaving Darwin at three forty-five p.m. and landing in Singapore at seven. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah, that, I was thinking it's three forty-five a.m. Yeah, no, yeah, three forty-five p.m. It used to be like a six a.m. Uh, yeah, yeah, flight, yeah. and you had to get up at bloody. Yeah. Three o'clock or four o'clock to get there on time. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, so it is Singapore Airlines, of course, doing, and I think everyone was probably hoping that Jetstar was going to come back and do that route again because yeah. remember that you would have seen prices come down. Um, yeah. But you would think this many that, yeah, you know, um, depends on what the prices are, and we don't know at this point. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think we, I think we, we just need some more competition on that route, definitely, and we'll get. I agree. Better, better prices. Jetstar, of course, have come out this week and uh, they've requested that everybody just delete from their minds the absolute garbage they've fed us for the last couple of years. In fact, pretty much since their existence between cancelled flights, lost luggage, uncomfortable seats, rude staff, and everything <laughs> else they've finished up. So, look, we're looking for a reset on that. Um, if you wouldn't mind, just start using us again, and we'll see. We'll try our best to not do that sort of stuff anymore. <laughs> did they really say something like that? They, they did, did, yeah. I apologize for that. Yeah, the CEO came out and basically just said, look, we're looking for a do-over here. Um, please good. just forget our history, and we're going to start from scratch. Can you just tilt the seats back just like an inch, like not even an inch, like just there's something about the Jetstar seats yeah. in particular. They lean forward a bit. Yeah, yeah. Like there's something that makes them just so uncomfortable and my little five-year-old laughs at me. Oh, yeah. we're flying on your favorite plane. Eddie Jetstar. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yes, but don't even talk about putting the seats back, Chris, because oh, I know. that triggers most of the known universe when you start. I just, I don't do that, and I've never done that because I don't like people doing it to me, so I, I won't do it. But yeah. And that's just what makes it so difficult on Jetstar for me, is that my yeah, back yeah. will really start hurting because it's somehow, and I can't sleep on Jetstar. Any yeah. other flight, any other airline, I can close my eyes and I'll fall asleep for an hour maybe. Like Jetstar, really? I just cannot sleep on Jetstar. No, look, I'm, I'm the same, but my rule of thumb is, and this is not because I'm, uh, you know, used to being treated to the lap of luxury, but I have been lucky enough to fly business class a few times. And the problem is, once you've had that flat, <laughs> there, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Difficult to go back to the 45 degree pitch and try and sleep, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. Once you are in first class, um, yeah, that was a whole other thing from Seinfeld too, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what it was like? Elaine didn't, so he should get the free ticket. My wife and I found ourselves in that same position, and I was saying, yeah. Yeah, "But you've never been there before. I have one time, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to take this." One. We, we <laughs> he got it in the end, by the way. But yeah. We had the same situation actually, flying from LA to Auckland, 
And um, well, that's um, a long flight, isn't it? It is a long flight. Yeah. And my wife had developed a cough right while we were away, and so she was just constantly coughing. Didn't matter, you know. It was every sort of few minutes or so, and we got the message came through that one of our seats had been upgraded. <laughs> from uh, premium economy to business. And so we were saying, well, which, and she's like, no, you take it because I, I'm not going to sleep anyway because I'm going to be coughing the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And so I took the seat out of the kindness of my heart because she really <laughs> wanted me to. And I was I was in my seat. I was getting all prepared thinking, oh, this is great. I'm going to sleep most of the way back. And it's going to be like I've never had this flight, you know. <laughs> and I poked my head through uh, the curtain to see how she was. <laughs> and I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it. And I was like, oh no. So I've been upgraded. So someone from economy has now been upgraded to my seat. So she was like in a middle seat, oh, yeah. someone next to her that she didn't know she's going to cough the whole time. <laughs> anyway, I noticed in the middle row, there was three of the four seats that nobody was in, just the one extreme edge, but then there was three with no one in them. And I said to my flight attendant, I said, oh, would you mind doing me a favor? And she said, oh, yes, Mr. Gowers, you know, what can I do for you? Because I'm in business class, right? Just she has to call me Mr. Gowers. <laughs> See that woman down there in premium economy? She goes, yeah. I said, see those three seats that nobody's in? She said, yeah. She goes, would you mind please moving her from the seat next to that person to the three seats so she can sort of spread out? She goes, oh, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, no problems at all. Get that done. And just as she walked off, I said, oh, just one more thing. Can you please make sure you tell her that I'm the reason why she's getting those three seats? She goes, oh, yes, I'll tell her. I'll make sure she knows. <laughs> She was very thankful for getting them. <laughs> you, and you had to take credit for it. I thought you were going to say, also, uh, I want a gin and tonic. <laughs> well, the best part was you could have whatever you wanted. And so yeah. I watched TV for you know, a fair bit. I had a meal, had to relax, just very chilled out. And then at one stage, I got up to go to the bathroom. I came back. And by the time I got back, the flight attendant had already made up my seat as a bed for me. <laughs> so it's like had the full doona and the pillows. I was like, ah, oh, it yeah. doesn't get much better than this. No, that, that's amazing. And I haven't experienced that on one of those overseas flights yet. So um, yeah, nice. that, that yeah, sounds yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah. Right, Chris, just hold there for a second. And now it's time for the job files. Thanks to no one in particular. Surprise, surprise. Still no sponsor, Chris. <laughs> it's coming, Pete. It's coming. I, I believe it is. All good things come to those who wait. Chris, this week the job files job of the week is are you ready? Drum roll, please. No, it's not the media whatever person for the uh, police service, but it is a digital content manager for NT Police Fire and Emergency Services. Ah, okay. Which is interesting because maybe the it's related to the fact that this other role has been sort of tinkered with somewhat. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sticking to the digital, new yeah, digital content. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yep. yeah you're right. Digital content manager, but sticking to the new trend, this job description goes for two and a half lines. Mm -hmm. The primary objective is to provide strategic advice and management to the. Territory Community Safety Coordination Center, NT Police Fire and Emergency Services. 
digital content for both internal and external audiences, specifically web, videography, photography, and other multimedia platforms to support the team. That is the sum total of the job. There is no money mentioned, so it's write your own meal ticket. <laughs> and that's it. There's no link to click on for special instructions or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that is very vague. That's Isn't very it? vague. Yeah. And, uh, and pardon whatever I'm about to say next, but whenever I see the word multimedia, I think to myself, welcome back to 1994. <laughs> you know what I mean? Multimedia yeah. as a concept doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder that, like, that kind of reminds me when you're talking about that, that it sounds to me like internal video stuff. Like, remember that time that they got in some trouble because Chalker showed up at the fire recruits and he was telling yeah. them all kinds of nonsense. And then um, he got called out for it. And then they, they lied about what he said. And then we had the FOI. And like, mm. the, the, there was one of their media people saying, like, oh, I just filmed it with my phone and the volume wasn't on. Like, yeah, we're, we're going to. We, we don't believe you. And um, like she had told like a senior fire officer that because he had said, I want to see this. And no, no, yeah. no there's no sound. So we have a lot of, and whoa, amazingly, there was sound, crystal yeah. clear sound of what, of what Chucker was saying. So maybe it's like a role like that. Like you, you got to do this internal garbage for them. And, don't forget uh, the other infamous video that made its way out to the public, Chris, the uh, internal video from a particular assistant police commissioner describing yeah, <laughs> yeah what a yeah. group of police you're talking about murray Smallpage, which we always say was he was just brought in for comic relief during the chalker days where we all needed to laugh and that bozo would show up and split his pants open fall down <laughs> or like film himself live <laughs> on facebook facebook live yeah. um saying stupid stupid things and um yeah so it must be that keeping those kind of buffoons and check and and just all around managing the clown town that is the anti-police absolutely it's a it's an integral uh, part of clown town that's for sure it is i don't know who wants to work there like, i i honestly like who who reads that two line i'm like oh, i gotta do this this is gonna be great that's me yeah yeah um yeah it's that is just such a, a broken place right now that um they're gonna yeah i don't even know why they do that until they announce some commissioner who's yeah. actually prepared, willing, and capable of cleaning the place up. Like, well, why, why even waste your time with all this stuff? Mm. We need I to get somebody good at Look, don't, um, don't just take Chris's word for it, because um, don't forget there is also the uh, head honcho media person's job going for a massive three-month period. So, you know, <laughs> just, the, yeah. the videography role doesn't sort of, push your buttons maybe you can go for the top job you yeah know. try it out see what you think anyway yeah like i said you might, the reason, yeah. you might be able to do both and that might convince <laughs> them to you know give you a time and a half or something might as well man yeah because they're just struggling they're just they're just terrible right now um and then and this is the executive and i mean no disrespect to the frontline officers of course but this executive absolutely is, not has just mismanaged everything and they know that more than anyone um mm. So, yeah, look, yeah, that, that's an interesting job there. And I think we'll be talking more about this other job. Let's see who gets <laughs> it, the comms director thing. And and um, there's going to be a lot more when, when we get a new commissioner, too. So uh, we hope police clean up their act here and we do get someone good in to do that. 
I agree. Righto, Chris, sharpen your sticks, mate. I'll catch you next week. <laughs> right, thanks, Pete. We'll see you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshie back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. You have a good week in the meantime, and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favourite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.